So today we are continuing in our sermon series in the book of Revelation. And before I dive into it today, um, I just want to say thank you to a whole bunch of people um, who are giving me feedback. Um, I don't get a lot of feedback uh, on my sermons. It's just kind of one of those things. I get a lot of, a great job, Pastor. That was really nice, Pastor. That was encouraging me, Pastor. And, and that's fine. But I, I realize how um, challenging this topic can be. And so kind of hearing from people going, wow, like this is really really challenging me. Like, I've never heard this before. Uh, this is kind of a different take on it that I've not heard before. That, that feedback's quite helpful. And so if this is challenging you, if you would like to get deeper into this topic, I'm just going to share with you quickly uh, some of the resources I'm using for this. Because uh, this, again, it's one of these sermon series where I am doing a ton of reading. Like, I'm doing more reading in this series than any other series I've ever done. Like, I'm spending twice as long in my sermon prep now than I've ever done in like 16 years of preaching because it's that big of a topic. So I might say something and you go, wow, that's really good. Pastor Kevin's got this great insight. No, Pastor Kevin read that somewhere else. Like I'm reading from experts who have studied this for like 20, 30 years. I've got five days to prep for the next message. So I might say something and you go, wow, Pastor Kevin's got this great insight. No, I'm quoting someone else and I forgot to put a footnote at the end of the message because in preaching, it's hard to do footnotes. So you might want to grab, if this is topics of interest to you, you might want to read these. I mean, one of the great books is Discipleship on the Edge uh, by Daryl Johnson. This one's really rocking my world. I'm loving this one. Uh, another series I use a lot when I do when I prep sermons is called the NIV Application Commentary. This is the one on Revelation. It's by Craig Keener. This is really good, especially when it comes to what does this mean for my own life. I've moved to more digital books now. I've got 800 books on my laptop that I use. And so I've got a number of books on Revelation that way. I've got one that's called Revelation by Kendall Eastley. Great topic, great book on that. And another one's called Revelation and the End of All Things by uh, Craig Coaster. Again, these are just, if you want to geek out a little bit more, dive deeper into this topic, because I get it. It's a big, big, big topic. And honestly, we are just scratching the tip of the iceberg. We're just scratching the surface here of what we're able to accomplish on a Sunday morning. And what I'm going to do today as we continue in Revelation, um, a little bit of a confession is I wanted so desperately to just skip over this passage. Um, For the next two weeks, so for today and for next week, we are actually going to hit on topics that I don't want to look at because it's hard. We're going to talk about judgment. Now, we're not going to talk about failed, imperfected human judgment. Because all of us have had experience with very, very judgy human beings. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever experienced a very judgy human being because you might be sitting beside that human being today or that human being may be in your home with you, right? We have all experienced very judgy people. We have all sadly probably even experienced very judgy Christians, 
That's not the kind of judgment I'm talking about today. What we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks is the perfect, holy, righteous judgment of God. And it's not a favorite topic. It's a topic we could tend to avoid. It's a topic that we would like to dance around. It's just not something that we're comfortable talking about as the church. And I know personally, I'm not comfortable with this topic. But the reality is that this is not just a book of Revelation topic. This is a Bible topic. From the very, very beginning of your Bible in the book of Genesis, all the way to the very end of your Bible in the book of Revelation, we are (laughs) coming face to face with the topic of God's perfect, holy, righteous, and just judgment against humanity. And so we have to kind of look at that. And so today, it might feel heavy. I'll, I'll try to put a joke in here where I can, but there probably won't be many of them. I'll try to make it light and fluffy for you so you don't feel like driving home and stopping by the LCBO and grabbing six bottles of wine and just kind of passing out in bed at the end of the day after today's message. Okay, But here's the challenge, I think, for all of us as we spend two full weeks looking at judgment. When you fully have a good biblical understanding of judgment, then Easter Sunday is a party. See, you cannot fully grasp the power and the majesty and the amazing thing that God did on Easter Sunday with a poor biblical understanding of judgment. You can't. Easter will just be another thing. It's just another tradition. I'm just going to eat some chocolate, stuff my face, go to church because my mom made me, and then do something else. right? But when you fully grasp judgment, then three weeks from now, when we do Easter Sunday, it's a different posture that we take because of what God has done in the world. So get ready for it. I'm going to read a big portion of the Bible today. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to be reading a big chunk. I'm going to read two full chapters today because I want to get through them. (laughs) And here's the thing about these two chapters. We're going to read Revelations chapter 8 and Revelations chapter 9. I'm going to read straight through it. I'm not going to take any pauses. We're going to go straight through this. encourage you to follow along. And here's what's fascinating for me personally as a pastor, as someone who's been preaching for like 16 years, I have never read this text out loud before. Ever. And in my 20 plus years of following Jesus, I have never heard this text read out loud publicly among the people of God. Because this text is not fun. So let's do it together today. Let's get through this text and let's see how we can be encouraged by it. Because again, that's John's heart. Remember, John is not just a prophet who's receiving a prophetic vision of God. John is a pastor who is speaking to an actual church, real people, dealing with real problems. And his hope and his desire for the church is to know the encouragement of God. 
that God is victorious, that Jesus has won. Not that Jesus is going to win, that Jesus has already won. And so, again, and as we've been talking about in this series, when you read this, the challenge is, is this 100% in the past? Is this in the present? Or is this in the future? And the answer, I think, especially in a text like this, like we've seen in a lot of the other texts already, the answer is past, present, or future. Which one is it? The answer is yes. (laughs) Past, present, future. Yes. It was real in John's day. It is real in your day. It was real in the ancient Israel's history. And it's going to be real in the future. Of what's happening here. So let's read Revelations chapter 8. I'm going to start here reading in verse 2. It says, so John continues his vision here in heaven. He says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. And the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. And as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. It wasn't bad in chapter 8. It's about to get worse in chapter 9. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, and he opened the abyss. Smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. And they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, the people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. And the locusts, they looked like horses prepared for battle. 
On their heads, they wore something like a crown of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions, and in, in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abandon, and Greek, Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past. The other two woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000 and I heard their number. The horses and the riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of a lion, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came from their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which to inflict injury. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent from the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or walk or hear. They did, nor did they repent of their murder, their magic arts, their sexual morality, or their thefts. Be encouraged, church. God loves you. Go in peace. Have a great Sunday. Where, where, where do you go with this? Like, can you not see how massively challenging this is? It's like, my goodness, why would we ever want to read a passage like this to my non-Christian family and friends? Why would even me, who's been a follower of Jesus over 20 years, and I like to think I'm following the Lord in a okay way it's not perfect for sure why would i ever want to spend time reading this and studying this and meditating on this because deep deep down and it might be hard to hear it god wants to encourage his church and it might be again it's hard to see it But God wants to encourage you today. If you are a follower of Jesus, this passage should not bring fear. It should bring peace. It shouldn't bring worry. It should bring comfort. And if you're here today or joining us online and you say, I'm actually not a Christian, the goal of this is not to guilt you or scare you into the kingdom of heaven. It's to give you a glimpse of God's glory and a glimpse of who God is and why God must deal with sin. And so we're going to look at all of those things together today. And so um, 
Like we talked about last week when we talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse and we look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse and we say, is that 100% in the future? Well, the answer to that is no. It's a now and then. It's a past, present, future thing. And so are there going to be angels with actual trumpets, blowing trumpets and all of these kind of things playing out exactly like we're seeing here? Maybe. Quite possibly. But there's a now and later thing happening in this. See, you could kind of summarize chapter 8 and chapter 9 with um, two little words. Spiritual battle. From the creation, from the very, very, very time of creation, um, there's a war going on. There's a war going on, and so many of us just kind of in our comfortable Western, Canadian, North American Christianity, we can forget that there's a war. We can forget there's a battle. And, and the prize of the battle is the soul of mankind. It's like here humanity lies in between this spiritual battle that is going on. And so we can see this battle playing out all throughout these two chapters here. So I want to just kind of dive in a little bit on a couple of points here and then try to <laughs> figure out how I could bring you a little bit of encouragement today before you leave as we talk about judgment and looking at this. So let's just look at, let's unpack a little bit first. So what exactly are these judgments? What are we, what are these judgments? I like how in Daryl Johnson, he actually summarizes this chapter really nicely. So I'm just literally just stealing this from his book. He just summarizes these things because again, it's kind of hard to figure out what's going on and fire and blood and all this stuff going on. And he talks and he sums it up like this, right? He says, well, you know, trumpet one is hail and fire. It's mixed with blood. We see a third of the earth and its vegetation is burnt up. Trumpet two, a great fiery mountain is thrown into the sea, you know, and the rivers and the springs and the water are poisoned, uh, sorry, are, are, sorry, are affected by this. Uh, trumpet number three, there's this great star, which is called Wormwood. It fell from heaven and it contaminates all the rivers and the streams and they're poisoned and people get sick and die from drinking that water. Number four is uh, kind of the sun and the moon and the stars are darkened. Right, and Daryl Johnson in his book, I love the way he summarizes this. He says, what we see in the first four trumpets is nature gone crazy. What we are seeing here is a glimpse of nature messed up and broken and just causing havoc in the world. Is this simply a future thing? Watch the news. Like, I mean, the fact that we're getting tornadoes in Ottawa. Like, how many of you grew up with tornadoes in Ottawa? Never. Like, I mean, yeah, you little kids did because you're now in it, right? But us old people, we didn't have tornadoes in Ottawa. You know, like hailstorms in Oklahoma, fires in B.C. Nature is messed up. It's broken. And we could sit there as Christians and go, well, it's because the judgments are coming and the, you know, and the apocalypse is coming and Jesus is going to return. Or we can go, guess what? Nature has always been broken. Have we been making it maybe a little bit worse? Yeah, probably. 
But since day one, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, nature broke. When God, in his perfect, holy, righteous, just judgment against sin, cursed the earth. This is what God said to Adam after Adam's sin against God. God said, cursed is the ground because of you. (laughs) Thanks, Adam. (laughs) I didn't eat the fruit. Why am I dealing with floods and earthquakes and tornadoes and all of these things and pestilence and locusts and nature gone crazy because of someone else's sin? Well, that's that human condition that just continues (laughs) because my sin is just as bad as Adam's sin. (laughs) So God says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your lives. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Nice. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So you and I, we live in a cursed earth and that's a rough thing to think about right so these four trumpets will it get worse probably is there kind of a future judgment to come probably but we are already in the midst of this turmoil of how do we live and work and survive because this is the thing about nature gone crazy it is so out of your control one of the things, and I've shared this a lot, like, you know, the, the home that we bought, we bought an older fixer-upper kind of house, and it's one of these kind of hobby projects of mine. Every vacation, I take some time off in the summertime and figure out what I'm going to repair that year. And um, the, the beauty of nature is I can't seem to get ahead of nature, is that the roof will just, I fix one leak, and then another leak shows up. Or I fix one crack in the foundation, and there's another crack. Nature just seems to find a way to make my life miserable when it comes to fixing up my house. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. I can't stop the rain. I can't stop the snow. I can't stop the ice. Nothing. I am powerless against this. Powerless, And it can feel so incredibly overwhelming as we deal with this nature that has gone crazy all around us, right? And so, and so this is kind of what uh, Daryl Johnson talks about in his book. He talks about this whole idea of nature gone crazy. And, and, and we've been dealing with that since Genesis chapter 3. Now, another parallel that we can see from these judgments here in the, in the first trumpets that are being blown here, they actually read nearly identical to the ten plagues of Egypt. Kind of God's judgment against the hard heart of Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh was the the ruler of the known world, the most powerful man in the world, and he had the people of Israel as slaves. And he refused to let the people of God go out into the wilderness and to worship God. And he killed the firstborn. He kept them under this incredible, painful yoke of slavery for generations. And we see the exact same things playing out here in Egypt, impacting the earth, their food, their commerce, the drinking water, the light to see. It's very, very similar on what's playing out here. So we can kind of see that 
way past John's day, future, all at play here, right? And then uh, trumpet five, it's where it's like, again, the little kind of science fiction nerd geek in me goes, man, this would make a great movie. Not one of those low-budget Christian movies. I'm talking like a good movie, like a really good high-budget kind of movie. And, um, and the pictures here and the imagery here, it's like, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? It's like Trumpet 5 is when the forces of darkness are released from the pit. <laughs> Locusts come from this bottomless pit. John witnesses a star falling from heaven, right? And this is this sense that there is a war going on. That's why it can be summarized with spiritual battle. There is a war happening. And again, not simply a future thing because the teaching of the apostles in the early church was you are in a war. You're in a war, Like Paul teaches about this. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh or blood. Our our, our struggle is not against a government that we don't like. Our struggle is not against our neighbors who have a different lifestyle that we don't like. Our struggle is not against people. Our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If there's a spiritual battle at place here that's happening. And we're, and we're kind of just trying to figure out how to just live our own lives. You know, how to do a good job, how to make some money, how to put enough money into my retirement plan, how to get my kids educated and sent off to college so they can be a good boy or good girl and contribute to society. We can be just so self-focused on our own lives and our own comfort that we can easily forget there's this greater thing happening and it's going on and we're smack in the middle of it. The spiritual battle that's going on. So these locusts and these demons and they're being talked about here and they're tormenting people. One of the things that I and Danielle and I have been trying to learn more and more because this steps way out way, way, way out of kind of my Baptist seminary box. It's kind of how we deal with spiritual warfare, how we deal with spiritual battles. How do we deal with people who are under kind of the yoke of the demonic? I didn't have a class in my Baptist seminary on how to deal with that. I I was taught how to look at the Greek and look at the Hebrew and say it's real. But what do I do when I'm face to face with someone who's in it? Well, what I do is I call my, my Egyptian friends and I call my African friends and I call some of my friends, my missionary friends in other parts of the world that this is their reality. And it's like, please walk me through this. What's deliverance? What is these type of things that we've seen to have thrown away because it's scary because it's uncomfortable, because we don't know what to deal with it, how to deal with it, right? And we we can easily shy away from these type of important things in the life of the church because there's a battle going on, right? So that's the first thing. So we see kind of the, that's like kind of that, those first five judgments there. And um, the second thing that we got to be kind of really clear on 
And this is where I think it's an important thing for us as Christians to understand is, is who is facing this judgment? Like, who's facing this judgment? Like, this is, the, I think, one of the challenge of the ages that we have as kind of evangelical, Bible-believing Christians is this idea that there is this cursed earth. There is this judgment that's happening. Nature's gone crazy. There are spiritual forces at play. But then there's this idea that me as a follower of Jesus, when bad stuff happens in my life, it's this idea, and I hear Christians use this language all the time, all the time, all the time. It's, well, what did I do wrong? God must be punishing me. And, and there's a tension there that, well, it, does bad things happen to you because God is this angry, <laughs> wrath God wanting to throw fiery mountains at you because you messed up? Like, is that who God is? And the answer for the follower of Jesus is no, that is not who God is. You see, because God's wrath, God's judgment was complete on Jesus on the cross. That the full wrath of God was put on Jesus on the cross when he died for your sin. And when we turn from our sin and we accept what Christ has done, we receive what the book of Revelations in chapter 7 calls the seal. Christians are sealed. Some translations call it the seal of the Lamb, the seal of the Lord. There's different kind of language that can be used about this, that, that you and I have been sealed. Again, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. One of the things that has been fascinating for me during this COVID season is the number of Christians that were just kind of like literally coming to me on a Sunday morning or sending me email going, Kevin, um, should I get the vaccine? Is it the mark of the beast? And I'm not mocking people who've worried about that. I'm really not because it's something that we worry about as Christians. Well, let me just encourage you, okay? If you have given your life to Jesus, whatever this mark of the beast is that we're going to look at in a few weeks, you can't take it by accident. No one can trick you into it. Relax. Just take the edge off. Be encouraged. If you are truly saved, you cannot take the mark of the beast. Why? Because it's a posture of worship. It's who do you worship? So this judgment that we see that is happening on the world is the exact same judgment from day one on Adam. It hasn't changed. And who is the judgment against? It's those who refuse to turn from sin. This is what it talks about at the very end of chapter 9. This judgment is coming on those, and the language that's used here in the book of Revelation is the inhabitants of the earth. And this phrase, the inhabitants of the earth, is how John describes people outside of the church. People who want to live their own way, who want to live by their own wants and their own desires, who want to worship other gods, who want to worship themselves, who just want nothing to do with God. See, and that's the message of Jesus. Again, when Jesus came, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. 
because the world was already condemned. Where was the world condemned? Genesis chapter 3. When the curse came. See, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. He didn't come into the world to judge it. The world was already judged. He didn't create the church for us to go out into the world and judge them. Because they're already judged. See, this is where a good understanding of judgment comes into play here. Because you and I should have received the exact same judgment as the inhabitants of the earth. But praise be to God, we don't. Praise be to God, we don't. Not by anything I've done, but completely and totally by the sacrifice of Jesus. And then one, one last thing that I want to just highlight in this passage, and we could nerd out and geek out. There's so many things in these two chapters here. But I want to, again, just drive home that importance of that spiritual battle that is happening in the world. Because it talks about the fallen star in one of the judgments, in one of the trumpets here. And so what is this fallen star? Well, again, a lot of scholars and a lot of people believe that, again, based on the context that's here and as we study other parts of the Bible, is that this is probably our spiritual enemy. This is probably Satan. Here we got the devil here that John sees falling. Now, is, the, 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 that, is that a future thing that John saw? Well, maybe, but it's also a past thing because Jesus himself talks about this, how he saw Satan cast out of heaven and come to the earth. We see Isaiah also kind of makes reference about this fallen star in Isaiah 14, verse 12. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. And so they're among in the world today are spiritual forces at play working against the church. And this is the thing about spiritual battle. And I think why we don't like to talk about it, it can feel so heavy and so discouraging, is because it can be a little heavy and discouraging dealing with it. But um, we just kind of get stuck in this, I'm defeated, I'm defeated, I'm defeated. But we have to remember, no, 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 no. We're not defeated. Jesus is victorious. Jesus doesn't win later. Jesus has already won against these things. And the reality is, when it comes to spiritual battle in my life, when it comes to spiritual battle in your life, it may hurt. It may be hard. There may be challenges with it. But you cannot be defeated. You can't. You can't. You cannot lose your salvation. See, our spiritual enemy would love to get us so riled up thinking that I'm not a good Christian. God must hate me. God is punishing me. God's wrath is on me. And we get so distracted by what we think we can't do. And then we just spend all of our time just kind of worried about that. When we kind of have to remember, no, 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 I am victorious. Christ is in me. I am sealed. I am victorious over this battle, not because of me, but because Jesus is victorious. And the same challenge that you and I can face as followers of Jesus in this spiritual battle world today is exactly the same spiritual battle that the apostles had to go through. I mean, Jesus said to Peter himself, you know, he says these words in, in Luke chapter 22. He goes, Simon, Simon, kind of being, you know, Peter says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. It's like, Peter, you are going into a spiritual battle. God bless you. 
You know, we don't kind of talk about this in our membership class as a church, or we kind of don't make this a part of our evangelism program. You, you just need to turn from your sin, and you need to come to know who Jesus is, and your life is going to be perfect, and all your problems are going to be solved. How many of you, when you came to Jesus, that's how it played out? No, when I came to Jesus, some of my closest friends stopped talking to me when I came to Jesus. Some of the people, the most important people in my life, wanted nothing to do with me anymore. And it was hard. And it was challenging. And then there were nightmares and spiritual attack and all this other garbage that kind of came. That wasn't in the brochure. But the thing is, I think we forget about the second side of the brochure. That it's one. That it's worth it. Though, even though there's this spiritual enemy, and Peter talks about this spiritual enemy, this fallen star. You know, and he warns the church. He says, be alert and of, a, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. <laughs> You know, and we'll see as we kind of continue to move through this letter that the defeat of our spiritual enemy is permanent, it is complete, and it is a cause of rejoicing in the church, even in our pain, even in our suffering, even in the challenge, right? And so kind of the big idea that I want you to kind of remember here, you know, as you're studying this, as you're talking about this in your life groups this week, is just remember that God's judgment um, against evil started at the beginning of time and it will continue until the end of time. Just find peace and comfort in that. Find encouragement in that. This isn't a new thing that we're dealing with as the, the church in Ottawa in 2022. It's not new. It's new for you. It's new for me, but it's not new for the church. Find encouragement that this judgment against evil it's been started since the beginning of time and will be completed at the end of time. Now, two quick things that I want to just conclude our time together today. Because I get it. This idea of, of, of judgment and all of that can be so heavy, right? So how do we find encouragement from this idea that, that there is a holy, perfect, righteous, completely loving God who must judge sin, <laughs> that has to deal with the sin of humanity. Like, how do we, how, do, what, how can this encourage us as the church today? Because it's just a horrible thought of judgment, right? Well, one of the, I, and again, I think I found this one in the NIV application commentary, and, and I love the way that they kind of framed this, because it was a big encouragement to me when I read it. Because this is two things that I have struggled with in my Christian journey from different time, in different times of my life. And so, the first way that we can find encouragement from these passages is just a, a reminder um, to be careful about loving the world. Be careful about being so in love with the way of the world as followers of Jesus. See, I've struggled with that in my life where I watch how my you know, non-Christians live. And it's like, well, why, why do I have all these rules and they don't? Why do I have to be good and they don't? Why is that friend of mine just allowed to like rip off his company and buy a nice car and do all these amazing things? And there's no penalty for that. Why is this friend of mine, like he got away with cheating on his wife multiple times. 
And she forgave him, and he got to continue doing it like there was nothing wrong. Why does he get to do that? You see, (laughs) there's a challenge with this. And if you and I were really, really, really honest, there are things about the world that we love. There just are. And there are things about the world, if we were really, really, really honest, we're envious of the world. But the world is allowed to. I remember I had this conversation with Samantha when she was maybe 14 years old, you know, and she was kind of really mad at me. And it was one of those, oh, how, okay, I was like, okay, I'm kind of learning how to deal with 14-year-old girl in my house, and I'm trying to, what happened to, like, little girl, like, I, and the pigtails, that was easy. 14-year-old girl was a little bit of a challenge for me at that time. So you dads that are about to get there, God bless you, okay? It was a challenge, and it was like, and she was furious with me. She was like, why are my friends allowed to do stupid, idiotic things, and I can't? And she's wrestling with that. And I go, it's the same reason my idiotic friends get away with things. And I don't. It's because the world is messed up. And the world can look so good temporarily. Loving the world and the things of this world looks great in the moment. Being envious of the power and the influence of the world for a moment looks great until you read Revelation chapter 8 and chapter (laughs) 9 and realize that these people are living and working and thinking out of a posture that wants nothing to do with the love of God. That they love the world more than the ways of the world, uh, the more than the ways of God. They, that they love their pride, they love their own worship, they love their own whatever it is, and they want nothing to do with God. And instead of being envious of that, instead of kind of loving that, it, it kind of breaks my heart for them. It actually changes my posture towards people outside of the church. Instead of being mad at them. I pray for them. Instead of being jealous for them, I just want to hug them and let them know there's another way. But God has brought a number of people into my life over the years who have been dealing with with sexual issues and gender issues and, and transitioning and all of that stuff. And I'm sitting there going, God, why are you bringing all these people into my life? Because I have got nothing to say to them. I don't know what to say. And I just felt God clearly just saying just Hug them. I remember a friend of a a family member was the first gay woman in Toronto to get a divorce. And all the years and years and years that that community had been fighting to get married, the first one who got a divorce, guess how that community treated that person? Horribly. And this was a friend of a family member. And I was at a party and this person was there. And I just hugged her as she wept, not knowing who her community is. Because the Christians hated her, and now the LGBTQ plus community hated her. It's like, man, the world is messy. So we got to be careful that we're not more in love with the world. We got to be careful that we're not envying the world because God's ways are better ways. God's plan is a better plan. And it may not always seem like it, but the word of God tells us that it, that it is that way. 
right? We read about the words of Jesus. I'm going to conclude, conclude with this and then we'll pray. But Jesus says this in John chapter 17. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, you, church, are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Then we skip down to John 17, verse 15. It says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. In a world where nature has gone crazy, in a world where there is judgment against sin, when the curse of the world is kind of just hitting all of us, none of us are immune to it. None of us have been raptured out of it. You're smacking it. So what is our response? It's to love. It's to love them. There's a battle going on that we are barely aware of and they are definitely not aware of. So let's be encouraged, church. The judgment's not new. It's not new. We've been dealing with it and trying to figure it out for thousands and thousands and thousands of years as the church, as the people of God. But we will trust these words of Jesus that he's with us every step of the way. Let's pray. Father God, it is easy in the world that we live in to be quick to judge and quick to become angry. And your word tells us to be slow to judge and slow to become angry because it's really ultimately not our place because you alone, God, are judge. You, are, you alone are the only one who is righteous and holy enough to judge the sin of humanity. You alone, God, are the only one worthy and loving and righteous and fair enough to judge my sin. And so, Father God, I praise you today for the forgiveness of sin that I've received. And Father, today I pray for maybe someone who's here in the room right now or someone who is joining us at Greenbelt Online who um, has never received that forgiveness. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just touch their heart even right now, that they would know how much they are loved by you. And this judgment on the inhabitants of the earth, it's not to scare them into heaven. It's not to scare them into making a profession of faith in you, but it's just, it's just the reality of judgment and, and how God must deal with sin. And so, God, today I pray that they would accept you. And if you're here today and you want Jesus in your life, that you could just pray real simply, just say, Father, forgive me a sinner. Forgive me a sinner. Come into my life. And if you pray that this morning, a pop-up shows up at Greenbelt Online, please click that. Let us know that you've done it. If you pray that here in person today, just let me know after the service. I'd love to rejoice with you. And for the church, be encouraged. Yes, there's a spiritual battle going on. Yes, there's demonic forces at play all around us. Yes, our life can be hurt, hurting as we deal with these things. But Jesus is victorious. He is. We don't have to be afraid. We don't read Revelations chapter 8 and chapter 9 to build fear into our lives. We read them to be encouraged as the body of Christ. 
to see the mission of the church as the most important thing in the world. Because one day, all of this will come to completion. And all that will last for all of eternity is how humanity responded to the message of Jesus. So Lord, equip us, encourage us, build us up, strengthen us as your church for your glory. And as we continue to worship Holy Spirit, just move and encourage us. If we feel that this was a little heavy, God, lift our spirit today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.